Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. Good morning, everybody. I'm Matt Johnson, Senior Vice President and the Canadian Lead of our Canadian Life Sciences Practice Group. I'm pleased to be joined by Rich, uh, Rich Schuldice, my colleague and teammate here in our downtown Toronto office. Uh, but most importantly, on today's podcast, we are so excited to welcome to the podcast, Ty Shattuck, CEO of McMaster Innovation Park. Welcome, Ty. Uh, good morning, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, very welcome. Uh, Ty, you are the CEO of McMaster Innovation Park, which is Canada's premier research park. Um, Ty has held various senior leadership positions within the digital media, aerospace, and venture capital industries. You spent your career at the intersection of technology and business design. I stole that from something I saw written about you, and I loved it because that's absolutely such a great description of you and what you do. Um, Ty, you're a professional engineer, former adjunct professor at OCAD, past chair of Mohawk College's Board of Governors, and a former RCAF officer. Thank you for your service, Ty. In, in 2010, you. you were awarded Engineer of the Year from the Ontario Society for Professional Engineers. And I like this one. In 2011, as CEO of PV Labs, you led the company toward being named one of Canada's top 200 fastest growing companies. And eventually, they received an Academy Award under your leadership. That's awesome. Now, I also read on your LinkedIn profile that you describe yourself as a reformed adrenaline junkie. Before we dive in, perhaps you could expand on this for the audience. Uh, well, thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, you know what I would say is when I was young, um, any extreme sport that I could get into, uh, that's what I did, Was whether it was extreme skiing or skydiving or scuba diving or mountain climbing, that was kind of me. And then you get a little bit older and you have kids and a family and career and stuff. And so I've replaced extreme sports with the extreme investing, I would say. So early stage investing. So so that's kind of where I am. That's how I feed my uh, my adrenal addiction today. You know, I love that because I know in, in speaking with uh, so many entrepreneurs, um, so many of them come from a, a past history of some form of adrenaline uh, activity and actions. And it doesn't surprise me that an adrenaline junkie equates to a successful entrepreneur. Um, now, we could provide an overview of the dynamic and groundbreaking <laughs> development occurring at MIP, but I think we'd all rather hear it from you, Ty. So maybe to start, if you could tell us a little bit about the vision, where you are today in accomplishing the vision at MIP, and what you can tell us about exciting things to come for the future of MIP. Sure, Matt, I'm happy to. Uh, let me let me start with kind of a statement of what's happening within the region and, and I would argue the nation as it relates to innovation commercialization. So I think we all know, um, if we don't, we should be aware that Canada really hits above its weight class when it comes to research. Um, you know, there was articles just in the last couple of weeks that talked about the MNRA vaccines that everybody's, uh, you know, pushing for. It, it integrates Canadian intellectual property. Um, and so, you know, whether it's stem cells, you know, whether it's insulin, you know, no matter how far back it goes, Canada has been remarkable at the research and discovery phase. Where we've 
been challenged consistently, however, is our ability to bring it to commercial reality. That whole process of now I've got a discovery, can I turn it into a tangible real product and can I can I turn an industry and a business into it? And so that's the vision of MIP. MIP's mission, vision is to help companies grow and we do that by facilitating collaboration between academia and industry. Uh, and, and the real goal is how do we tap into the research prowess of, of McMaster, certainly who is our owner, uh, but any, frankly, any university, and how do we bring that into industrial and economic growth within Canada? So that's that's our mission. Um, you know, the park has been open now for just over a dozen years. Uh, we have 700,000 square feet under management, and we're the vision that you're referring to is an expansion to about 3.2 million square feet. What I would say is it, it it's based largely on the research priorities of the university and the economic pillars of of uh, of Hamilton, uh, and we want to build a life science uh, biopark. Um, to be a bookend in what we refer to as life science corridor bookended by Hamilton at one end and, and Toronto at the other end. And what we're trying to do is address a very big gap within the bio continuum uh, of space. Uh, right now we have extraordinarily great and a good number of early stage life science companies in Canada that are merging out of, you know, the Max and the Torontos and the Westerns and the Ottawa's. Unfortunately, once they get, get past about a dozen or so people, there's no place for them to grow. And so the gap that we're trying to address at MIP is what's referred to as graduation space. It's that gap between incubation uh, and when they go you know, build a dedicated facility, uh, commercial facility. Um, and we're trying to address that uh, because it's necessary for these companies. And frankly, it's necessary that Canada goes beyond doing great research uh, into a phase of doing great commercialization productization of that research. So would that gap be where MIP's value proposition lies? So I, I think that's one piece of it. You know, Matt, you're going to hear me and others at MIP talk at length uh, about, you know, buildings and suites and, and infrastructure space. Um, at the end of the day, it's not about the buildings. And that's something that we just keep saying. It, it's not about the buildings. Our real mission is to help these companies grow. That's it. Um, what we physically bring to the table is expensive lab space for the help to grow. But that's not the only thing they need. And so whatever they need, whether they need help finding talent, developing talent within the region or country, whether we need something that you know we work on is help uh, on the availability of, of venture financing at various stages, helping them with pitch decks, whatever it takes, our job is to help them. Um, so I think our value proposition is broader than we have uh, you know, good buildings. I think our value proposition is we help companies grow, um, but the physical piece that we bring to, uh, bring to bear is, is the physical infrastructure. Yeah. And, you know, we want to be careful not to just talk about the real estate because you're developing a community and ecosystem. There's so much to MIP that is not about the, the bricks and mortar. And something tells me if all we saw was the bricks and mortar, we would be missing the point effectively and the opportunity. Um, you touched on this a little bit. Um, when we think of MIP, you know, the, the M in MIP is obviously such an important ingredient to the success of MIP. And I'm you know, understating it to a, a significant degree here. Um, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the value of academic partnerships and access to the other resources within McMaster that you have or a, a group has as a member of the MIP community. 
Yeah, certainly, Matt. Uh, you know what? You hit on it exactly. Uh, what we're trying to do is leverage these physical assets, the real estate, towards the real mission is to help companies grow and, and build this culture of innovation, this ecosystem that you refer to. If you look at any successful uh, innovation ecosystem anywhere on the planet, at its core is the ideation portion of it. it it's the research component. And, and frankly, that's where McMaster University fits in. You know, McMaster is the most research intensive university in the country. And so there's a wealth, if you will, if you if you almost think of IP and uh, as raw materials, that's that's where the raw materials are. Um, and so that sits at the very core uh, of the innovation ecosystem. Uh, and it's not just McMaster, frankly, as you think about life sciences, you know, um, there's also, we got two research hospitals here in Hamilton, St. Joe's and Hamilton Health Sciences. We have Mohawk, which is the most research intensive community college, uh, which is putting out, you know, great resources. Not everybody, uh, you know, it has to have multiple PhDs to be in life sciences. And so MIP's job is to kind of be the shepherd to facilitate all of that stuff and make it available uh, to industry and investors that are that are trying to, you know, bring something to life. So whether they're looking for some research or they're looking for talent or they're looking for facilities or they're looking for investment, our job is to kind of bring bring all of those things things to bear. And we're very lucky uh, to have McMaster kind of at the core and to be the owner of McMaster Innovation Park. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, we we see such a unique undertaking that, that your group and team is involved in at, at MIP. And, you know, when we speak, Rich and I, when we speak to clients, um, not just here, but throughout North America, it, it often, you know, they'll talk about regional attributes areas, you know, downtown this, whatever, whatever. But then they'll talk about McMaster Innovation Park. Tell me about that. What is that? Where is that? And how does that relate to the, the corridor as a whole? And it, it's amazing to me how over the past few years, conversations have started to really involve McMaster Innovation Park when we're talking to people that don't know the region, but they know MIP. And that tells you a lot about the impact and growing impact and awareness of the great things happening at MIP and, and out of McMaster. Um, we're obviously in a pandemic and hopefully coming out of the other side of this pandemic. And I'm, I'm curious as to how the pandemic has impacted MIP and also how do you view the impact of the pandemic uh, on the sector regionally throughout the corridor? Um, and, and what does that mean for the sector going forward? Yeah. So, you know, Matt, uh, it's really interesting when a crisis hits, um, how how the world responds. Uh, I, I will, and look, COVID has been so negative and so impactful in a horrible way to so many people. So many people have lost their lives full. So I don't want to tell you that COVID has been a good thing for MIP, but I will tell you that I think COVID has highlighted the vision and mission of MIP and, and crystallized it for so many people. You know, uh, a couple years ago when we la launched our effort to expand the park and we started talking about the necessity to invest into this type of infrastructure, just as there's investments into roads and bridges and schools and stuff. Frankly, a lot of people didn't really get it, right? People like, well, I don't really understand. And, you know, people would nod and smile, and but but they didn't really. I, COVID, however, has really highlighted how important 
uh, life science is to to individual citizens and to the to a society as whole. And so suddenly that that vision that we'd laid out, you know, before all of this began, people inherently get it now. People inherently understand what it means when you don't have capacity to produce your own medicines and your own vaccines and your own PPE. Before it really wasn't a, like you understood it and it almost in an academic way, but you didn't you didn't really understand it. And so today, nobody nobody questions that. Um, you know, whether they're in the government or in broader society, everybody gets it. And so I think it's really put a focus on not just what MIP does, but what all the ventures we're here to support are doing, why it's absolutely critical, and why it's absolutely critical that we think about how do we support those ventures beyond, you know, just starting up in research? You know, the notion that the government would be putting hundreds of millions of dollars into biomanufacturing, that was unheard of. You know, I can't imagine that two years ago, but today that that's something that, that everybody's talking about is happening. And it's a really good thing because to me, I, I think the work that these companies are doing, that these research are doing, ultimately it saves lives. I don't, I can't think of something that is more compelling than saving lives, but it also creates jobs, right? Uh, and amazing jobs, diverse jobs. Uh, you know, you know, the majority of jobs uh, in, in life sciences are, are for women. And so those are the most, women are most impacted by COVID. And, and finally, it creates economic development that that can be an export industry uh, on a go forward basis. So I, I think it's just, you know, I'm not going to ever say COVID is a good thing, but I think it has crystallized and focused the kind of things that we're doing and the ventures that we're trying to support are doing. Um, and, and you know, and if there's a silver lining, it's maybe maybe that. Yeah, and, and thank you. That, that was um, really thoughtful and meaningful. And I didn't realize um, that the vast majority or the majority of jobs in, in the sector were for women, which is, I mean, that's amazing as well. I mean, there's tremendous opportunity for women and minorities. And, um, this now brings me to uh, an area that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to when probably two or three weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago when they announced the, the federal government and Moderna and the development of a, a, a Canadian vaccine. And, you know, people were talking about that. You know, and I, I think three, four, five years ago, an announcement of that nature, nobody would have spoke about it, um, read about it. It wouldn't be the, the headline on the newspaper. Um, and I found that to be just a, a, a great statement about how our society is recognizing um, the importance of life sciences, but also perhaps a, a historical lag in support investment in life sciences that um, COVID has really amplified and brought awareness around to the need for additional investment uh, and focus in that sector. And if it drives further jobs and employment and um, opportunity, I mean, that's amazing. That being said, uh, last week we were on the call with a, a, a well-funded organization who was talking to us about growing here in Canada and the lack of opportunity. And there's clearly uh, a continuation of a brain drain in limited opportunity to foster growth here. And I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, how do you foresee the market and perhaps government adapting over com coming years to this continued demand and opportunity for growth, but also desire to keep that growth here on Canadian soil? Yeah, Matt, I, you know what, I think that's a good 
and, and complex question. Uh, let, let me let, let's start with a simple, a few simple truisms, if you will. The reality is that Canada as a market itself is very small, right? So so nobody sets out to to start their you know their their pharmaceutical company with with Canada being your end target in terms of where where you want to go. So I think the value that we bring as a nation isn't just and can't just be, oh, well, you can sell to the Canadian market. That's a component of it. It has to be that this is a good place to do business and it's a good place to secure ta uh, talent. I think when you look at life sciences today, it's a game that's won or lost on talent. That's that's the name of the game. Um, you know, it's not won or lost, frankly, on 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 the real estate and the facilities as much as I would say it is. The facilities attract and retain the talent, right? The capital attracts and retains the talent. It's the game is won or lost on talent. And I would say that as we sit here today, we have a wealth of technical talent. The other form of talent, though, is business talent, people that are as comfortable with a microscope as they are with a spreadsheet. Um, and we're not as far advanced on that, but we're coming along. So how does one uh, attract and retain talent? Well, I think it's multifaceted. I think the government needs to think about creating a good environment uh, from an investment perspective that makes sense that investors want to come invest in it and they can get better rates of return than they can in other places. I think it's also important to look at other jurisdictions. One of the stats that um, that I heard not too long ago had to do with Boston, Cambridge. Boston, Cambridge in that area, despite all of the academic institutions, they don't have enough talent coming out of their local institutions to feed all the ventures that are coming about. And so their choice is you either import talent, which is what would be a brain drain, right? Or you move out some of the ventures to other jurisdictions. And I think the reality is we're going to get a little bit of both, right? Certainly there's going to be an attraction to go to the Boston, Cambridge, and the San Francisco areas. But I think you're going to also see um, that it makes sense to do business in other regions. And in fact, not only do I think we're going to see that, we are seeing that. And so I think that's where we're going to see some regional benefits that some of the companies are going to be wanting to come here. Um, and I think that the days of, well, you're either in Toronto area or you're in Boston, I think those are, are, those are gone. I think what you're going to see is companies set up operations uh, where it makes the most economic sense to do that, right? So maybe you have your 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 financial piece in Boston, and maybe you have some production in Hamilton, and maybe you have something else in Ottawa or Toronto. Um, but ultimately, you're won and lost by talent, and companies will come kick tires because it's interesting and they've heard all the branding of MMP. What's going to keep them here is that it's a good business environment and it's a good investment environment. And I think that's where governments can help at a macro level, create a more economically friendly place to do business. Are you seeing, you know, so often we speak with, again, organizations throughout North America and, and, you know, there is that piece about, you know, achieving the outcome that they want to do in terms of the right talent and the right production, but there's also the economic reality of where, where doing business makes the most sense, right? And that's back to your investors, back to your shareholders. And so many jurisdictions throughout the U.S. provide programs, subsidies, incentives, whatever it may be, 
that support the growth and development of business and just effectively make doing business cheaper than the alternatives. Do you see or are you hearing conversations within your world or government or do you see opportunity here in Canada to adapt to that kind of way of doing business that I believe we haven't seen as much opportunity here in terms of programmatic benefits to organizations coming here as perhaps some jurisdictions in the U.S. may offer. So, Matt, you know what? I think there's always opportunities that governments can develop policies that create a better, you know, tax regime or a better economic incentive to stay. And I, I think we should, I think we should look at those always. And I think there's lots of opportunity, low-hanging fruit. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say, though, that we should go compete with some of the low-cost jurisdictions in some of the states. I will go back to what I said earlier, which is the game is won or lost in, on talent. If you can't get that excellent technical and business talent to come out to your jurisdiction, well, then sure, you might have a great tax regime, but nobody's going to be there to run the business. Right. And, and so I, I think we should do some stuff on the policy work, but I think we should also say, where does the talent want to go? Look, if you look at Boston, Cambridge, why would anybody want to set up their business there? It's ungodly expensive and the talent is ungodly expensive, right? Because it's the right place to do business because that's where the talent is, yeah. right? And so I'm going to tell you that talent wins the game. And, and I know I'm a broken record on that. Subsidies and, and policies are factors, but they're they're not at the same level. So I think we should do some of that. I think there's lots of opportunities, but I think we, what we want to do is create an environment um, where where the talent wants to live here and do research here and, and raise their families here and 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 people will respect that and that's where the business will occur. It, it, it's 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 not one thing. It it's a multifaceted, multi-dimensional thing. Yeah, and you know, Ty, we completely agree with you. And it's interesting to hear it in your own words, but you know, this this idea that talent drives everything. I, I can tell you that, I mean, one, from an outside looking in at what you're doing at MIP, you're building a community where talent will want to be, want to live, want to ex want to exist, want to eat, right? Like it's gotta be more than just a place to go to work. It's gotta be a place to to go and effectively live and live well. Um, and benefit from the attributes of the environment within which they go. And, and that's something that MIP can provide. Um, as an anecdote, Rich and I had lunch with a, a U.S. group, a Fortune 50 organization came here and we sat at lunch to talk about their objectives for this marketplace. And the conversation was all about talent. Where do we get them? Where are they coming from? Universities. To the point that we brought a, an individual from Toronto Global, who I know you know the, the organization, and they spent the entire time, you know, sharing data about, you know, employment, education, the resources that drive the organization. Yep. And then we talked about geography. Well, where, where are they, right? Well, that's where we should be, right? And that's great. Real estate came after the talent. Important. Shifting gears a little bit, I know we we have a, a mutual connection and Mitch Civilotti. I'd love you to dive into the strategy behind the collaboration with CCRM and how that impacts the strategic direction of the MIP community. Well, certainly. Well, let me say that I think, firstly, that CCRM is amazing venture. When you look at what they've done, you know, spin out of University of Toronto, you've got your research uh, headquarters in, um, you know, in Mars. Um, and the number of spin-outs like Notch that they've had, they're, they're an 
unmitigated success, right? Um, I think when you look at CCRM and you get to know their leadership, they have very bold ambitions. So I think that's the first thing that brought us together is somebody else with bold ambitions. Um, but they wanted to move away from just the research they're doing. They were very landlocked uh, within Toronto. They had this vision of a biomanufacturing campus. Uh, we had a, um, a vision of you know, a life science park. And so we started talking about the synergies uh, across those. I think the reality, you know, what's amazing about CCRM is they're going to keep their research in Toronto, which is the right place for that type of talent. But it doesn't make economic sense or even geographic sense to go build a biomanufacturing campus, you know, in downtown Toronto. Like, you know, A, there's no space. And even if you could find space, it would be ungodly expensive. Um, so they started to look at, well, where would you do biomanufacturing? The same thing that we just discussed. Where would you find access to space? Where would you find access to talent? Where would you be close to logistics and airports? Because biomanufacturing, you need to start shipping stuff. Um, and so we just started to see there was a, a lot of synergies between their vision and ours. And then slowly what we did is is started to actually put meat on the bone of that. And and so now we are partners in development of, of that. You know, our job is to provide the infrastructure and, and some of the surrounding support. Their job is to is to bring their amazing science, uh, science to life. Uh, so it's turned into a, a great partnership. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to say they're uh, again. Our job is to support them, but they're going to change the world, uh, and they are changing the world. And how would they change MIP, or, or what do you see as an outcome of their involvement in MIP? You know how it will grow alongside and with CCRM. Yeah. So you know, Matt, that's that's a really good point. I I, I think the announcement when CCRM uh, came said they were coming to MIP it changed a lot of per, uh, perceptions out there. Um, there's an, an uh, analogy that, uh, you know, 25, 30 years ago, all the banks were all down on Bay Street in downtown, right? And and then, you know, there was talk of, well, maybe you should put somebody in Mississauga. Well, that'd be crazy. Why would you send them to the hinterlands in Mississauga? And then one day, RBC moved their, you know, non, non-corporate people to Mississauga and the sun rose the next day. And then within a few years, all the banks had done. Um, and so there's tipping points in the views of people. There's kind of, this is the way things are done and then something happens. And I think to us, CCRM represented a tipping point because CCRM is so well known and has such a brand for them to come to MIP. Suddenly everybody else went, what? You're going where? Um, and it crystallized that, you know, uh, uh, MIP and Hamilton is a great place to do business. And, and since then, you know, it, it it was, if you will, the the market tipping point, um, and it and it crystallized to to the entire market that that we were a genuine player in the market. And so I I, uh, I give a lot of uh, uh, cred back to CCRM and in buying into the vision. They're early adopters, to say the least. Yeah, well, and I, I'm I'm sure I, I can't speak on behalf of well either CCRM or MIP, but I'm sure CCRM gives a ton of credit back to MIP because you've provided them with what we don't believe they could really find anywhere else, or at least within the, the package, the economics, the community and all of that. I mean, what you are providing them in terms of the facility, but also the community doesn't exist outside of MIP in our corridor. 
Yeah, Matt, and you know, I'm biased, so I obviously think that we've created value for them. But it's a great partnership. Look, we, we, it is not just about the facilities, although that's the physical manifestation of it. Um, I would say they saw a like-minded team and like-minded uh, leaders that wanted to change the world. And I think it starts there. Um, and so it's a great partnership. And maybe we can talk a little bit about um, MIP and the Ontario Life Sciences Corridor and, and the, the conversation around CCRM is a good one to start because, you know, they have a facility just over here. I'm sitting at King and Bay right now and they're up at Mars and University um, and College here and, of course, MIP in Hamilton. So the ability to be here and expand there and satisfy different elements of their business throughout the corridor. Maybe you can talk a little bit about both MIP's role in the development of the Ontario Life Sciences Corridor going forward, but also how you see the whole, the whole region as a whole um, operating collaboratively together. Yeah, Matt. So, <clears throat> you, you know, what? one thing I would say, and maybe it's a pet peeve, is that often Canadians and often Ontarians we get very siloized, right? You're either from Toronto or you're from Mississauga or you're from Hamilton or you're from wherever. And we, we you know, and we start to compete amongst ourselves. And, and what I would say is, I think we have to start thinking as Ontarians and as Canadians. How do we bring, how do we get together to take on the world? Uh, and I would argue that no one jurisdiction including Toronto, I just told you, I don't think you're going to do biomanufacturing in Toronto. You know, it, it doesn't, just doesn't make sense. Um, I think Mississauga brings uh, a lot to bear with Pill Hill and stuff like that, but they don't have the same, even with UTM, they don't have the same level of, of research prowess that you've got in, the, you, you know, the UHN corridor or, or in Hamilton, but they have lots to do. And so does the Oakville's and the Burlington's and the surrounding areas of Waterloo. I just don't think that any one jurisdiction has everything it takes to go compete uh, with a world-class uh, life science area. But I think if you start thinking of them, stop thinking about them as jurisdictions and say, well, what about if you looked at everything that across here? I think you start to realize that you have all the pieces. And so, um, you know, we in discussions with Mars and others started to say, well, let, let's Let's think of it not as, you know, us versus you, but us and you. And let's think about where are all the pieces. And that's where the genesis of the life science corridor came about. And the corridor is a very, yeah, it's kind of a corridor. It's a nebulous regional play. Um, but I think when you look in there throughout that region, we've, you know, UHN, and at University of Toronto is going to continue to be the largest source of research in the country. And I think that's phenomenal. So let's not compete with that because that'd be ridiculous how do we leverage tap into it how do we support that um and but you know what as you said earlier we've got space at mip we've got manufacturing prowess at mip we've got closer access to you know airports and logistics and stuff uh mississauga's got his assets why don't we start thinking about how we piece those things together because you know matt i'll say it again and again it isn't about mip or mississauga or Mars, or U of T, or Mac, it's about the ventures, right? And if we can create uh, an environment where those ventures can both be discovered, 
uh, incubated, grow, find talent, find capital all within that, then we're going to be a global player. So the life science corridor is this notional area that you can find everything that you need to start a company, to grow a company to whatever size. And I think when you look at the total amount of stuff that occurs in there, we can totally be a global, uh, global, um, uh, globally competitive with it, with anybody in in the world. But we have to start thinking of us uh, as a whole, as a bunch of you know, uh, uh, you know we're going to compete amongst ourselves. You know, I think you've heard me say. It's annoying when we start competing against individual jurisdictions. What do you want to be king of the hobbits and in charge of the Shire, or do you want to rule the world, right? So, yeah. oh. damn the hobbits. Let's uh, let's go take on the world. Damn, damn the hobbits. Absolutely. Well, I, I you know, you're you're absolutely right, though. I, I I think about how too often we consider ourselves in silos, as you say, and you know, just simply we have to be on the same team. I mean, ultimately, there there is. There's a lot of world outside this region. We need to, as a region, come together to be successful as a region and compete on that global scale. Otherwise, you know, we're going to be constantly looking inward if we're constantly in competition with with each other, which doesn't make any sense and doesn't take us anywhere. Exactly, and and you know, in a country as geographically big and 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 as small from a population perspective, we need to figure out how we can we can combine uh, our 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 individual assets to create critical mass across jurisdictions otherwise we're just not going to be competitive and we got to move away from where the land of hewing wood and all of this stuff right so we're, we got to figure that out so you know from talking about the region i, I want to go back to mip for a second because i was reading an article about vox neuro and it was an interesting article just talking about um, really a success story from the beginning, I'm not going to say to end, but like maybe you could talk a little bit about, and, and I might have, that might be a leading question of mine, but an example of uh, a story at MIP that demonstrates really the unique offerings of an ecosystem like MIP and how it can be a model potentially for future developments or future opportunities in the region and elsewhere in Canada. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, well, thanks for raising Voxner. I think it's one of our emerging uh, unicorns uh, at MIP. And it really is the story. You know, CCRM is a story of something that came out of Toronto and then ended up moving to Hamilton. Voxneuro, and there's others uh, like Fusion, but Voxneuro is our, our latest to talk about, you know, the research actually began with Dr. Connolly at McMaster University. Um, um, and then, you know, it, it was formed and brought out of uh, the tech transfer office and formed um, and now it's a it's a it's a growing company uh, here at MIP, and I think, you know, it's an example where the tech transfer office, the ecosystem, the investors all rallied around them. You know, one of the advantages of being from a smaller uh, smaller area is that we all know each other, and so when uh, James, the CEO, needs something, like he he can literally pick up the phone and talk to just about any anybody in Hamilton, and we'll we'll try to rally the ecosystem around them. Um, and so I think, you know, we've done our best to do that. And I think Vox Neuro, I don't want to take credit away from the management team and the technical team because, you know, at the end of the day, it's 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 their game. But it's a great, great example uh, of a company that was able to do this discovery, the research at the university, come to MIP for growth, uh, certainly be in the suites, but leverage the ecosystem and is now, you know, got FDA approval on a bunch of stuff and, and really making traction. So we're we're really proud of them. Yeah, that is. Uh, I, I read that story with with excitement. Uh, you know, to me, it it talked about so much of the value. You know, it's not about the real estate, but all of those elements that you spoke about um, that can create opportunity within an MIP and within a McMaster University. 
Um, and how, you know, with today's conversation, how I thought, my goodness, like, this is something great to think about as I speak to you today, because we didn't really want to have a conversation about real estate. We wanted to have a, a, a conversation about life sciences and your role in in growing and fostering um, the corridor MIP and whatever's going to happen here in Canada going forward. But I do want to ask you is, we're nearing the end here, but um, maybe if you could take a step back to the beginning of your time at MIP. Um, would you do anything differently? And when you think about the MIP of today, um, perhaps it is what you envisioned when you first started, but you know, when you first started, what would you have envisioned for 2021? And of course, you wouldn't have thought a pandemic was on the horizon. So maybe just talk about um, your history at MIP and, and where we are now and where you're going. Yeah, so Matt, actually, I'm going to take it back a little bit further than my start as CEO. I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, I was a partner in a venture capital company called Triveris, and we were one of the founding tenants. And so what I would say is I drank the Kool-Aid, you know, a dozen years ago. Um, I believed in what MIP was trying to do. I believed in, you know, what Mac had, had to bring bear. I believed that the necessity that we had to create a place, an environment, uh, to smart support uh, commercialization of the amazing research. You know, then I did some business stuff and you know, traveled all over the world way too much. Uh, so, you know, about three years ago, almost three years ago, uh, almost to the day, maybe I'm two weeks off my three-year anniversary. What would I do different? You know, Matt, there's a notion of strategy called emergent strategy. I wish I could tell you that it was smart enough that I landed, you know, three years ago, and I just had this perfect crystallized vision of what MIP could be. Um, and, you know, since then, we've been just, you know, working on the on the game plan that I'm not nearly that smart. Um, I think I think sometimes you you have to you know get on the field and you have to start playing and try to get a sense of the environment. Certainly, I knew uh, you know the importance of life sciences and engineering, advanced manufacturing, and ICT, but I really had to get to know uh, where where how those things fit together and get to know the life science market. You know, through the introduction, you know that I'm not my background is not life sciences, so I, I feel like I'm quickly getting a master's or maybe a bachelor's in life sciences. Uh, um, so I think if I were to do it again, um, you know what, I, I would maybe short circuit, maybe do that a little bit faster, but I'm not sure that uh, how I would have been able to pick stuff up any faster, faster than that. Um, uh, you know what, and, and I did do this, but I would say this sounds so weird. We talk about capital, we talk about real estate, we talk about you know, all the things, the talent, you know, what, what is so important is the attitude and the belief that you can do this. What I believe is that those of us in Hamilton, and I think we're a bit of a, uh, an example of, of the Canadian is we, we need to walk with a bit of a swagger. We have so much to bring to the world. We have so many business opportunities. We need to think big and bold um, because, you know, Big dollars are not in, are not attracted to really small and modest ideas. I think when you look at ventures, we always beat our companies up and say, "Well, give us your conservative estimates, right?" 
you know, how many people want to go invest in really conservative estimates? Yes, the the accountants and the and the bean counters want to see that, but what people are looking for is big bold dreams. And so I, what I would say is, you know, more of a realization that we need to work on the attitude and the belief in ourselves of what, what what we can do. So if anything uh, comes about from MIP. No, you know, notwithstanding, you know, all of the successes of ventures, I hope it's a belief that 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 we can should and can walk with some swagger because we we can do big and bold things. But you got to have a big plan. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure if that's a change, uh, but that's something that I've realized that at its core, it's a human endeavor and it's about confidence and belief that we can do something impactful. You know, I I love that. I think that's such a great sentiment. You know, too often we are the apologetic Canadians, and we have to own it. And, you know, there's an opportunity here to walk with swagger and confidence, as you say, and, and there's a tremendous amount or groundswell of, uh, of support um, in, in the industry and, and what you're doing and what's happening in life sciences here. And we need to be confident about not just what we can do regionally, but what we can do on a global stage. Um, just before I turn it over to Rich, Ty, I want to say it's, you know, every time we speak, and, and I've been fortunate to have many conversations with you, which I appreciate it, it always amazes me how humble you are. You know, you, you described yourself as having done some business stuff. And and I love that because we all know the impact of so much of what you've done. And, and we wish you all the best in continuing to do great business things, whatever that stuff may lead to. But we all know it's going to be tremendously impactful. And, you know, the 12 years that you've been um, at uh, MIP have, have just been um, paramount in terms of importance to the sector here in the Ontario corridor and Hamilton and McMaster. So thank you. So with that, Rich, why don't you lead us to the finish line? I know you may have a question or two, but um, over to you. Thanks, Matt. Um, Ty, I did want to ask a, uh, a quick question for our, our listeners involved in the landlord and development community. Um, where, where do you see opportunity for them? You know, it's clear that the demand for space suitable for life science tenancies is in high demand as you touched on with graduation space. Is it time for these landlords and developers to really take a harder look at life science as a target tenancy in the city and Ontario and Canada, Canada abroad? Yeah. So Richard, so I, I think the answer is yes, but I'm going to give it with a, a bit of a couched yes. So first of all, you know, I talked about where MIP is and we're focused on graduation space. When you, when you look at the entire continuum of, of real estate within life sciences, you know, MIP has got a particular focus on what we're calling graduation space, but the actual spectrum starts with incubation space then it moves into something called um, step-up space. So step-up space, if you think about an incubator, it can hold up to about a dozen people, right? You're using shared facilities and whatnot. Uh, ultimately, you want to move towards customized graduation spaces where MIP is playing. But, you know, as you're aware, you don't just, you know, instantly create a lab space. And so you need this step-up space. So step-up space looks a little bit like an incubator on, on steroids. It can support companies that up to about 45 people, suites, you know, space 5,000 or so. And then you move to customized space and then you move to full-on commercial space. So the likes that you would see on uh, in Pill Hill and stuff like that. So I think when you look at that, that continuum, there's gaps throughout that. I would suggest that, I, I wouldn't suggest that people 
We need more incubation space, but frankly, the economics don't support that. That's where we need government support and, and grants and stuff like that. But I think in the areas of step-up space, graduation space and commercial space, there's lots of opportunities. Um, and so I think there's, there is opportunity to look at it. Um, I think step-up space is in particular an area that we, we need to address within the region. I know Matt and I have chatted about that at length. Um, because that's going to then feed and, and companies stay there for one to three years uh, before they go into larger space and then you go into the full on commercial. So I think they should, but I would also say that life sciences is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. um, it is extremely expensive. Um, and, and, and what I would say is, and I'm not just saying this, you know, for us, I think you need to, partner with like-minded organizations, whether you partner with, you know, MIP or you partner with Mars, or you partner with others, I think you need to know where your tenants are going to come from, right? And I think you need to look at the very unique requirements. And we talk about life sciences as if they're all one thing, like, like the definition of life sciences is big enough that you could drive a Mack truck through. And so I think you need to more so than in other asset classes, say, okay, I want to go in life sciences, but I'm going to create space focused on this type of company. Um, but I think you can, you know, that's where you can partner with universities or colleges or other other groups to figure out, well, what exactly can you do? Um, and, and, and so I would say there is an opportunity, but it's not like you just decide one day you're going to go into life sciences. It's a very, very expensive proposition and you kind of got to know what you're doing. And these are highly managed facilities with a bunch of regulations. So I'd say, yes, take a look at it, but make sure that you have somebody on your team or whether that's, you know, employees or partners that can really help you through the nuances of it. There are examples, um, you know, people in Northern Ontario that decided, well, if we build lab space, they will come. And that didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not because the labs weren't good. It's because, well, they didn't have that other stuff in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say, make sure make sure you got, you got some background in the area. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You need the supportive ecosystem to attract the tenants as well, right? Abso really absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, so there's obviously been some very positive momentum uh, in the sector over the last 18 months. So, so what's next for you and what's next for MIP and, and the sector here in Canada? So I think people are aware that we've set out a vision to do uh, that, that expansion from 700,000 square feet to 3.2 million square feet. Uh, so frankly, the big, uh, the big focus for me now is, is really on two fronts, is raising the capital to do that. Uh, and number two is continue to find the tenants uh, to to help to help fill that up. So I think you know one thing that people don't realize is MIP uh, as an organization uh, by policy we don't ever chase government funding. Uh, the reason is is our tenants and our partners often use government funding. We don't want to compete with them. Our job is to support them. So you know we will help other entities. Uh, get government funding, but we ourselves are a pure commercial play, and so you know we're 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 about to uh, go through a process to to raise the capital to to do that. So that's going to be I assume that's going to take a little bit of my time. So I think that'll consume me over the next little while. Um, what happens on the industry? Um, I think I think the pandemic has highlighted as we talked about earlier the importance of life sciences as uh, as an industry as a source of jobs and a source of life-saving uh, medicines 
Um, what I really hope is that we don't forget this lesson. Um, mm. I hope that this doesn't become a shiny object that everybody was excited about. And then a year from now, we're like, oh, let's go do something else. I hope we really learn uh, that this is an industry that can save lives, create jobs and create prosperity. So that that's my hope. And I think there's a role for MIP and others in this industry to continue to focus on that. So. Excellent. Well, I think we're we're nearing the end of our time here. So, so Ty, thank you very much. Uh, this, is, this has been a very meaningful conversation, and we always appreciate our time with you. And and you know, Matt and I are excited to see uh, all the great things to come uh, for MIP in the future. So, thank you. Well, thank you very much. I really uh, really appreciate you inviting me to speak, and uh, look forward to future such discussions. Awesome, Ty. Thank you so much, and thank you to all the listeners in the audience. We appreciate everybody's. Um, involvement and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks podcast. To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts and our solutions, visit colliers.canada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.